Uh, okay, I promised uh, this this episode that I'd come with uh, something to open it with. What your 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 absolute mangling of Japanese political history, Lee? Oh, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few bits of follow-up. Uh, on the previous episode, I mentioned how Sherlock Holmes doesn't know the solar system. Uh, this was partially true, but inaccurate. In the original stories, Sherlock Holmes is not merely ignorant of the solar system, but is ignorant of the fact that the Earth orbits the sun. <laughs> That's right. Dr. Watson is aghast at this knowledge and basically asks him, how the hell do you not know that? You're such an intelligent man. What's going on here? The which Holmes essentially shrugs and says to him, if it's got nothing to do with solving crimes, I, I don't know. I've only got so much space up here, my man. I'm just going to save it for what matters. See, that's, that's far more enjoyable and respectable than how it was pitched to me last episode, where it's a knowing character flaw that Watson, uh, you know, is reflecting on and, uh, and it's also, it's not that he has chosen to be ignorant of it, he just is because he is. Uh, you'll be pleased to hear that he later grew out of this mindset, which is one of the things I like about Sherlock Holmes, is that he, it, it went on long enough that Arthur Conan Doyle gave him character development. Mm. He, he changed for the better, mostly because of Watson's influence, which is a very nice little touch. Mm. Uh, the My confusion, or my misremembering it, stemmed from the fact that the BBC modernization Sherlock... Uh, in a sort of knowing tip of the hat in the direction of this little bit of trivia, uh, made it so that Sherlock didn't know the solar system, that he knew that the Earth orbited the sun. It would be a bit absurd for a man in this day and age to not know that much, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. So, so they, they, they changed it slightly so that he didn't know the solar system for the same reasons. Okay, all right, all right. I said that September 11th is the birthday of Nier. This is still true, but only for Papa Nier. Brother Near is ha. the 6th of June. What is the significance of this? An excellent question. I couldn't possibly tell you. One is in the autumn of his life and one the summer. That You know what? That's the most plausible explanation I've heard about it so far, <laughs> so I'll take it. I also have a little bit of uh, follow-up from the episode previous, because you'll recall I hadn't finished That's right. listening to it. Uh -huh. uh, the, the town of Camarocho from Yakuza, mm -hmm. uh, I said Kabuchicho, which is wrong not only <laughs> but it wasn't wrong it was kabuki cho but that was more me mispronouncing it that was just me simply uh, flubbing a line rather than misremembering the name of the town so i that's technically not a correction it's just me clearing the record yeah that's uh that's the town kamarocho is based on right yes kabuki cho okay also uh i think i remember alluding to uh, a review in for, uh, for Spider-Man Miles Morales, where I referred to that, that infamous review regarding the exaggerated swagger of a black teen. That was a GameSpot review by Jordan Ramey. I don't uh, think I actually said that. Gotta cite your sources. <laughs> I thought you would give them, maintain the dignity to not be named. <laughs> no, because I couldn't remember. That's just a terrible, terrible line. <laughs> that is it for me for follow-up. All right, cool. Follow-up for me. Uh, right, so... I had to, I, I believe, our uh, our Scottish robot friend to, to step in after my mistake last week. 
because yes, it was indeed. so impossible to ignore. I had to make something in the episode to, to to clarify that this was just so wrong on so many levels. Also, I decided to name. I decided to name our friend. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> it didn't really come up very well in the audio because the the, the text to speech robot is just not very. It's, it's rubbish. Ca- it's kind of what I like about it is that there's loads of options, but I really like the Scottish one and I've used him, God, since like at least the first, somewhere in the first 10 episodes. Uh, I've always used the Scottish robot because its diction is so terrible. Mm-hmm. And he almost always pretends something having gone terribly wrong during recording. But yeah, now I've decided to call him Victor Man. Victor Man. Very good. Very yeah, good. Uh, Not terribly Scottish, but very good. Sure, sure. All right, all right. So last week we talked about the sort of the handy dandy simplification of kanji down to a limited set of everyday kanji. That's as that is as much information as I can compare this to about stepping all over complete mistakes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so vaguely, vaguely sexist mistakes. <laughs> uh, okay, so what I had done was completely mix up two different stories from two different eras, neither of which had anything to do with World War II, which was my response to you, that you you brought forward that part and I just agreed. Uh, mm-hmm. pre- because I, I, I believed it, not, not because you tricked me. <laughs> anyway, so for that and for many, many other things, Japan, Lawrence, listeners, I'm sorry. Are you bowing right now? You should be bowing. Yeah. Like facing the... <laughs> Like facing the floor, just like complete 90 degrees. Gaminasai, <laughs> So, in around 774 to 835 AD, these are very specific numbers. I don't know. No, I, I like this. I like this so far. I'm intrigued. I'm moving forward. I, I don't know why, you know, like I, that I, I said around and then as in somewhere within this particular person's life which happens to be between those dates. Hiragana was introduced by a Buddhist monk. So Hiragana, to, to go over this again, three 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 uh, tiers of Japanese. Hiragana, katakana is, the, is for loan words, and kanji is an adaptation mostly of Chinese kanji. It's not the, the Chinese letters and language. Hiragana, on the other hand, was actually developed uh, after kanji by a Buddhist monk and was quickly adopted as a means by which women could express themselves in written language because what it did was it broke down the syllables of the kanji. So it, mm-hmm. so each, and that's how you learn, you start to learn Japanese by learning hiragana because when you're learning kanji, you can, you know, you'll see little, you'll see the hiragana break it down, what it's actually saying as you learn it in most training manuals and uh and that's how you phonetically get used to both reading japanese hiragana and understanding those and understanding that alpha alphabet and also you know by proxy eventually learning more and more kanji at the time the reason why women needed hiragana is because they were not allowed to learn kanji because it was considered above their station i see so hiragana caught on with women and you know because of that and because of its effectiveness it it became sort of widespread and it also helped make women something of a early driving force for published works in japan very good in 1989 this is the second story Mm -hmm. the japanese ministry of education introduced joyo kanji which was a condensed list of kanji considered the most common out of the over 10,000 existing kanji and i believe we 
lowballed it to 100 or so in the previous episode that's not true it's it's like a thousand i see so they just they got like they cut off uh about a tenth probably not even uh probably not even that many uh this uh this this book uh was not limited to women because it was the 1980s <laughs> and I it don't... ain't that bad yeah, I think I think it's just because uh, in in my memory, I half remember that uh, of those one thousand characters, uh, most people shortlist that even further to the most commonly used one to uh, figure yeah. closer to what you and I had speculated about. In, in my research to try and figure out what the fuck went wrong here, uh, and I found the the book I learned this from, and our and I should say didn't learn this from, but also I googled. I had to Google obviously a bit about the Joyo Kanji, and. Uh, yeah, you know, I started that search with top 100 kanji or, you know, most frequent kanji. And then you'll just get a bunch of BuzzFeed-like lists. Top mm-hmm. 100 kanji. You, you like to, you need to know. Uh, what trophies can I get from this kanji? <laughs> That'll do. All right. So, Lawrence, what'd you get up to this week? Well, I'll just say this. Uh, I wrapped up Near Replicant version 1.22474487139, etc. Impeccable. I know, I know. I, my brilliance. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you've seen the rest of the endings. Yes, I've seen the rest of the endings and I have platinumed it to boot. So, uh, Very good. I'm pretty happy, pretty happy with that's platinumed, put in the CD case, click, click on the shelf, done. That's a good feeling. Ending, now I speculated uh, in the previous episode that because Kira Buckland and uh, her uh, voice actress credit was in the game under question mark, question, question mark, that uh, there was going to be some kind of, oh, 2B from Nier Automata shows up at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, basically Featuring 2B from the Nier Automata series. It's like, hey, it's me, buy the sequel. I will say, I will not specify whether or not that does or does not happen. I will say this much. It is a lot more interesting than what you and I had speculated in typical Yoko Taro fashion. Ah, that's excellent. And that's it. That's that's ending E. Uh, I will say this. I don't have any major complaints uh, other than uh, ending E was one that was as you can probably guess uh, new to this version of the game but wasn't in the original it uh i feel i really like the ending the original ending which was ending c or d depending on which one you pick uh, d in particular was rather ballsy i thought all right but i can understand why a lot of people would not have liked it ending e i think removes some of the finality of that ending. I mean, it's an interesting ending anyway, so I'm not too upset from like an artistic standpoint, but it does feel like uh, he went back and took out some of the sting. Also, uh, they do something very clever with the credits in ending D that uh, I didn't think, a lo- I don't think a lot of people would notice right away, but uh, but I noticed it. I'm just letting, putting it out there. Yoko Taro, I saw what you did there. That was very clever. Did they do a Z to A this time? Uh, no, no, but still A to Z. Uh, I think, did you take that out of the previous episode that they did the credits in uh, A to Z order? I think that might have been cut for time. Maybe maybe uh, accidentally. That's perfectly fine. Uh, Well, there you go, listener. Uh, The credits in in Nier Replicant are listed from an alphabetical order with Yoko Taro just in the middle somewhere. But he is still in all caps, though. So you still know what the score is. Who's the boss? (laughs) 
onto onto the actual the new things that I did this week. I watched the second season of Stone Ocean. Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Part Six. Have you watched it? Any of this at all? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, I've I've watched about five or six episodes. I just haven't been able to sit down and watch a lot lately. Uh, I was mm-hmm. enjoying it. I do like Jolene. An interesting phenomenon. I'll t- I won't talk about uh, the contents of uh, the story because you haven't seen it in its entirety, and also uh, it's not done yet. But I will say it's really good. It's really excellent. I'm liking it a lot. I wanted to talk about something kind of funny, which is that you and I tend to binge JoJo whenever it comes out. We like let it build up to a critical mass, and then we watch it all in one go or two goes, as it were. Yep. I, and I and I still do that. And you would think that I would be okay with the way that Netflix has been releasing these episodes, but I'm kind of not, and it's for a sort of arbitrary reasons. JoJo. When we watch it and binge it, it's fine. But it being released in like these chunks like this, I don't think it's doing it a service. I think it's doing it a disservice. Because uh, one of the good thing about JoJo's is that it it would come up come out a week at a time, and for every week there would be a week's worth of memes of reactions. It, sure, every episode yeah. there would be time to speculate. There would be time to let each episode stand on its own and breathe. And uh, I haven't really been getting that impression, you know, from the from the pop consciousness every time there's one of these I, drops. I was under the impression you don't watch this weekly anyway. I, no, that's the thing. I don't watch it weekly. I watch it in binges. So my personal viewing experience hasn't been affected in any way. Yeah, I'm just saying that the, the larger cultural impact yeah. that comes about has been reduced Instead of getting to make a meme about a particular episode, there's now like six episodes at once and people will naturally take the highlights uh-huh. and the low lamps and meme about those, for instance. And They'll just, be found out of, of those discard characters. and forget about the rest. Yeah, like uh, things that would have otherwise have gotten picked up and gotten fan art drawn of it, for instance, uh, just sort of falls by the wayside instead. That is a bit That's tragic. Been my, that, 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 I, yeah, I feel like... Each episode deserves time to breathe for like anticipation to build and things like that and let people talk about it rather than drop it all at once. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like hypocritical of me to talk about this considering the way that I choose to view this show. I don't I don't watch it weekly. I watch it in big chunks. But even so, I feel that something has been lost. I wanted to ask you about this. Did you know that this second season was coming out? Like when did you first I did learn that it was coming I, out. I found out right now. I thought it was all done. <laughs> I yeah. Well, I was well. I didn't thought even, it was all done. I, yeah, I thought. I thought. I thought the the entire sixth part was was just sitting there on Netflix. You know, and I, to be honest, I wasn't even really aware that they uh, they were they had just done the usual Netflix thing of bumping everything on there. I thought they were doing because Netflix does have some shows that just updates weekly. So I, yes, I uh, I thought they were. They were doing that, and apparently not. So no, I, they've my, been the releasing back- it in like three chunks of like eight episodes at a time. So they, uh, the thing that I had in my head, that I was like, "All right, cool. You know, I'll just let it tick on, like I did for Golden Wind." Uh, mm-hmm. Is I, I just let it go until it was about two episodes from the end, and then I started, li- and then I started watching them, and then that meant I was able to catch the weight of the cliffhanger for the last few episodes. Yeah, for the last few episodes, and because uh, I don't, I don't absolutely hate waiting for episodes. Uh, it's just that I just don't have. If I, if I, I don't do anything like. Like this weekly at all i don't have any routine like that 
So there's if I if I'm tasked to watch something every same time every week, it's I'm just gonna fall off the bandwagon of it eventually. Uh, so better to to binge. Yeah, I, I asked uh, if you had known that the second thing had dropped, and you said you had no idea, and I went because uh, I I. I'm not the only person to make this observation, but I first found out that the second cache of episodes were coming out like a week before it happened. And the pervasive attitude on Twitter, at least, was, huh, what? This doesn't get any promotion at all. What's going on? Mm. And uh, Welcome I just to Netflix, to get Jojo. Yeah, I just want to wonder if you had felt the same way, because I don't know about you, Lee, but I live in a highly curated, no script bubble. Sure. Where I do everything in my power to ensure that no advertising reaches me without my consent ever. <laughs> yeah, but surely, surely JoJo would break through. Well, uh, you would think that uh, there would be like some marketing buzz on Twitter or that sort of thing. That's how these things normally get to me. But nope, I didn't get a thing of it until a week before it happened. Yeah, no, this uh, this has happened to me on other shows I've I've really liked from Netflix. I liked the. Uh... The OA didn't get anything. They poured money into it and it didn't get any publicity. I also liked Dark. I, I found out about Dark one season away from it ending. And then when that season came out, everybody who was waiting for it found out by some means. Uh, and then, not, you know, like nobody else in the world continued to live oblivious to it. Confession time. I still haven't watched the third season, but I'm meaning to. It's on the list. Don't worry. Uh, confession time. I still haven't watched the last four episodes either. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I suspected that was the case. That's all I really have to say regarding Stone Ocean for the time being. Yeah. Uh-huh. So onto the uh, the uh, well, if we if we don't count if we don't count uh, near replicant part two, me just, Ser- just series two. Off. Yeah, here here's my the second thing I did since the previous episode. I watched indie game the movie. Oh, that's a good time. I've seen that. I've seen that years and years ago. I'm not sure if good time would be the exact Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's like very memorable and uh, very eye-opening. But you're right, it is uh, mostly miserable. <laughs> I, uh, I sort of have been nurturing this idea in the back of my head of what I like to call inspiration fuel. Which is, uh, I, I don't think I've ever called it by this name in front of you, but uh, you might have an idea of what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you recommended Yahtzee's Game Dev series to me in the past, uh-huh. and uh, I think I politely declined watching it on the basis of motivation is very hard to come by. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you when you know something's going to work, you, you keep that in your fucking back pocket for the rainiest day. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's nice to have something, have ammo in the chamber, something in the in the chamber that you can just like use whenever you feel like the need arises. And I had sort of considered this movie to be one of those things. Sure. Interesting. But uh, it turned out to be precisely the opposite. <laughs> yeah, the, the great deterrent. Don't become an indie game developer. <laughs> yeah, the, the, this movie was, it was harrowing. <laughs> like, uh, there's like, like entire shots of like, People with like their hands in their heads in like empty rooms, Phil Fish like staring off into the middle distance, unable to cry because he's got no tears left to give. He's dead inside. <laughs> that sort of yeah, thing. I was yeah. like, my god! If if I if I if I didn't know that it could be better than this, I would be scared right the fuck off of this particular <laughs> career. Yeah, yeah. All right, so listeners, to give you an idea of what this is, Indie Game the Movie is a a documentary from way back in the day of the sort of mid to late 2000s, following the sort of... uh, came out in 2012, and it was the last three years or four years before that 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 started. Mm -hmm. 
it uh, it takes place right at the the tail end of the first wave of big indie games that sort of kicked off like indie game boom mm-hmm. it tells the, the the time just after limbo and braid and i think bastion as well but uh it, and it tabulates the development of super meat boy and fez mm-hmm. uh, but it also includes some segments dedicated to uh jonathan blow and the work he did on braid after its development like his thoughts upon its release that sort of thing mm-hmm. those are the three main threads which is braid super meat boy fez and uh, I, I quite like the, the differences between these three because it's sort of like in ascending order of like highbrow artishness where like uh, you have Super Meat Boy, which is pretty lowbrow. You yeah. know, that's not a reflection of its quality. I'm not making a value judgment there, but it's pretty lowbrow. The, it's the doom of modern indie games. Yes, exactly. It's very gr- gr- uh, garage band grungy sort of Definitely. just two two guys making like this pure gameplay experience that's like based on sort of like burish concepts like a boy with no skin against like a fetus in a suit with a top hat sort of thing <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and then one step above that you have fez which is also pretty gameplay heavy uh and it does have a lot of artistic merit to it but it doesn't have any it isn't like it's pretty enjoyable that like a normal person can play that not have to worry about it being like alienatingly <laughs> pretentious or anything like that yeah yeah yeah. it has its airs but it's certainly not a you you could hand it to somebody and they would enjoy it and not think twice about it's it's more pretentious qualities and then uh, above that you have jonathan blow with braid and i i i hesitate to use the word pretentious to describe him but he's clearly a much more like a high-minded like artistic guy sure like he seems, he seems a bit more cerebral. I love the phrase "high-minded artistic guy." He's definitely, he definitely. It, it might just be his betrayal in this, but he sure spends a lot of time postulating on the nature of of art and video games. I guess at that point he wasn't dying like everybody else on the, on the documentary, so he yes. he had the he had the he had the room to breathe. <laughs> That's true. Uh, one thing I did note is that because Breed. The Braid segments are mostly his ruminations after the fact, like him looking back and ruminating on like the development process and how he felt when it came out and things like that. He's already in like a in a position of relative success, so you don't get quite the same arc that you do with Edmund McMillan and uh, oh uh, Tommy Ruffin is his colleague, yeah, and uh, Phil Fish as well, and the other guy that they kind of oh yes the uh, Phil Fish's French Canadian colleague as well yeah. uh no he he's there for like maybe all of 10 seconds and then he's gone <laughs> presumably because he isn't quite the same character that phil fish turns out to yeah, be of course I, I actually speaking of phil fish like i went into this thinking about myself oh this is set during the development of fez maybe it will contain some foreshadowing of things to come and how he will eventually have his meltdown and fall out of the industry foreshadowing <laughs> This is like fucking like Joaquin Phoenix and Joker. The man is visibly coming apart at the seams <laughs> during like every part of this ga- this film. Like it's a mir- like he deserves a medal for getting as far as he did. The man's a wreck. <laughs> yeah, I-, I found his segments certainly the hardest to watch, and it's fucking harrowing. Uh, yeah, because whatever it was about video game development that he wanted from it, and we, there, are, you know, everybody has these sort of callings and so on. His seemed specifically built to kill him. Yeah, yeah. It's like it started off 
with him venting frustration with like audience expectations about when it's going to get done and how long it's taking. I was thinking to myself, uh, yes, it was this sort of thing that directly led to him quitting Fez 2. And I thought that, like, oh, here's our foreshadowing. Yeah, here's our, here's our smoking got, gun. Only, yeah, but it only got worse no, from there. No. Like, it's like the, the, his personal life is falling apart while he makes it. Like, he's impro- Like it was his first time doing sprite work, so he would get halfway through the development of the game, improve a great deal, then realize that all of his earlier work wasn't the same quality as his later work, so he had to remake the art ses- assets, like, three times. Like, he, he had, like, a lawsuit pending the entire time, which could end the project at any moment like his former business partner like he it's framed as though his former business partner would like kill the project at any moment out of spite Mm -hmm. or at least that's how fish thinks it's gonna go interesting note fish got a new business partner over the course of the development and uh, that person is one of the executive producers on this film so maybe the characterization of that old business partner may not be entirely unbiased yeah. you know i didn't i didn't so. know that and i literally just wrote down here in case i forgot but like i i it's it's not so much that the film focuses so much on fish either out of kindness or out of spite no matter what i think he's he's poorly served by it yeah i think that what he's the ordeal that he's specifically going through is one that is very internal and he for the sake of this project this this documentary seems to have to try to externalize it and it makes him sound like a maniac i'm sure he's not actually a maniac but in this he sounds like a crazy person all the time and it's because those strong feelings he has they are not crazy but they are when said out loud to a camera like i think my partners trying to to destroy this project you know like you might have that thought but you don't actually convey to the camera it's giving you genuine anxiety if for example it's a fleeting moment in what is a very hectic convention yeah like he goes to pax and like he's setting up uh the booth for fez and he's talking about how he needs his former partner to sign off on something so that he's legally permitted to actually go forward with like promoting the product yeah and it's like the 10 minutes before PAX is due to start and he still hasn't gotten notification. And he's like grappling with the fact that he may like, he's forced between going f- forward with it and potentially opening himself up to a lawsuit or just like packing up and going home then and there. And it's like, fuck God, <laughs> Jesus. And uh, he's saying like, oh, his entire life is tied to the success or the failure of Fez at that point. Like he's like in for a penny and for a pound. And his primary, like, motivating factor for developing it is like, uh, hey, if I complete it, I can allow myself to not commit suicide. And you're like, wow, great <laughs> yeah, job, Phil. Good, good, good. Sounds yeah, that's, good. Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a good incentive, I think. Also, like, his is the only story arc in the film that ends on, like, an ambiguous note, <laughs> because by the end of the film, he still hasn't finished the game. Yeah. In fact, uh, the uh, I was going to... Mentioned this a little bit later, but uh, the, the film several months after it was made released quote unquote DLC, which is like epilogues of like where are they now that sort of sure. thing, and it takes place like ten months after the after the film's release, and he still hasn't finished it even in the epilogue. So it's like <laughs> I mean we we you know through our powers of being in the future know that Fez did in fact come out and that it is in fact an excellent game. Mm. Pretty good. And that, uh, to the best of our knowledge, whilst he has retreated from the industry, he still, I think, makes games occasionally on, like, a hobby basis. So... 
he presumably hasn't killed himself and has gotten better and removed himself from harmful environments. So fair play to him, I suppose. But uh, his is the only story that ends on like an amb- really ambiguous note. So it's like, oh, it's like a like a sort of anxiety, like a tension that never really releases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This sort of brings me into the other two arcs, which is Team Meat who uh, is Edmund McMillan and Tommy Rafenes, I think his name yep. is. They're also not having a great time. Uh, they're, yeah. uh, they're, they're, uh, they're more sort of like poverty sort of angle, where it's like, oh, these guys, like, they need the money bad. They need it bad. <laughs> like, Phil Fish, like, had his funding revoked because he had a grant from, like, the Canadian government for, like, creative purposes. But these guys never had that money to begin with. They were just doing it in, like, their house, like their parents' houses. And, like, their parents are having, like, their... They're having, like, the refinance their homes. And you're like, oh, this is this is high stakes. Like, they're crunching themselves. I'm pretty sure, other than Jonathan Blow, who seems like a pretty mature guy who has his shit together, and, like, no one in this movie is looking after themselves, like, at all. No, not at all. Those guys are the closest to being, like, truly happy whenever they eventually get the money and they beat, like, the record put by Braid and they make all their copies in, like, the first weekend and they can pay off, like, their debts and, like, their parents' debts and they can buy their wife that cat that she wanted or whatever the fuck that was about. (laughs) And it's like, oh, those guys are happy. They had to go through the absolute ringer in order to do that and perhaps they didn't need to do that. I I think it's really interesting that even if you don't have the privilege of living in the future like you and I do, you can really easily chart the trajectories of these people's careers from this point onwards. Well, I mean, I I would have thought Phil Fish was to, would have kicked around a little longer. No, no. I mean, I I I do have the privilege of having watched it sooner, but like you can look at this and go Edmund McMillan, you know, he crunches himself, which is no good, but I feel like he could learn to be better than that, and he's got a very good head on his shoulders. He knows how to take the stress. Tommy Rafen is, like, that guy clearly takes it way too personally, and, like, he could go either way. He seems to have found a niche for himself, but so that's good. Jonathan Blow, the man clearly has his shit together. Like, uh, all, like, all the footage you see of him is him, like, sort of stroking his chin, wearing, like, sensible clothes, sitting in, like, a, a nice house that was presumably bought with the money that Braid got him, and he's talking about, like, the art and things like that, so clearly he's doing okay, and, you know, The Witness came out, and it's apparently excellent from what I've been told. I've been meaning to play it. And then you have Phil Fish, who is like, nah, this man... The fact that he's not dead, I guess you could say, is a good ending in that <laughs> sense. Because, like, <laughs> but uh, no, you, you could look at this guy and go, no, this guy, he either figures it, this uh, this man will sink or swim. Like, he will either figure it out or he won't, and it will be, like, kind of disastrous either way. And he had a terrible meltdown, and he quits yeah, acrimoniously yeah. the industry that a few is, years that later. That is true. And you know it's, what? It's, uh, no, it, it's not surprising at all that right, that You're right, you're right, they, uh... The meltdown was not something the internet was ever going to let him get away with. The uh, any any of his behavior once once you set yourself up like a target like that, he was he was his life was going to be hell in this fucking industry. So no, he's he was he made the right eventually the right call. <laughs> Just get the fuck out. Yeah, I mean, that, were it not for the Jonathan Blow segments, it would have been like, this would just be abject misery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very true. You know, like I I watched Indie Game the movie and I came away from it still very optimistic about the notion of video game design and i didn't i didn't not get that from watching team meet work I actually i but i guess i just 
constantly looked at that and felt yeah, that I guess I understand what that kind of passion looks like and and why you would bank it all on this. I just would never let myself be here. Uh, mm-hmm. But then that's, I, you know, in fairness, often what makes some people make great art. And I don't know, I certainly wouldn't make great art under those circumstances. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I could make art as good as Super Meat Boy under mm-hmm. oh, ideal oh. circumstances. So, you know, it, it's it's hard to say what uh, and what these scales actually work on. Well, to be fair to Team Meat, uh, and Edmund McMillan that that they had a uh, they did show that those guys had like ten years of amateur game dev experience under their yeah, belt sure. by the time they started making this, including the original Meat Boy. And you know they showed footage from Newgrounds, representing <laughs> keeping it, keep keeping the spirit alive. Newgrounds. Uh, me- meanwhile, like jo- J- uh, Phil Fish's segment is a just utter bleakness, except for one brief point where Jerry Holkins. <laughs> the uh that's Tycho from Penny yeah, Arcade, yeah. who who's a guy that I like a lot and I listen to his podcast and he's a guy I respect a lot. Just very briefly, like ensemble dark horse just appears on screen for you to go, Oh hey, it's Jerry and then uh he goes up to Phil Fish and goes, Wow, I really like what you're doing here. This is so cool. That's badass. Like you wouldn't even know it was Sprite Arc when it turns like that and then it suddenly transitions. That's great shit. And it's like he tosses a drowning man a life preserver and it feels like the only like positive validation that Phil Fish gets that he actually internalizes and that he doesn't just immediately like explain away in his own head as like a fluke or sure. something. And then Jerry just vanishes, and then it's right back to misery again. And it's like, whoa! It's like he descended from the heavens, like the angelic light bouncing off his bald head. Only other thing I have to say is that I mentioned earlier how this film has quote-unquote DLC, which is just like sort of like supplementary material that they made in like the, the sort of like the year after this release. Uh-huh. It's on Steam. It's like two pounds. I was debating whether or not I should get it. I might do. Well, you know, I, I was one of them is called movie. Phil and Japan, and that's got me very yes. interested. <laughs> yes, I did notice that in this. It's in the special edition advertisement I, for the. I, can't, I imagine the it's, it's dealing with the fallout of his statements more than it is him trying to, to make sense of them. <laughs> There's like a ten items there. Some of them are epilogues. Some of them are like sort of. Who are the new up and comers and things like that, or what's going Man, on? And I feel, I feel in the indie scene that sort of thing. And you know what? I, I might, I do feel a little tempted yeah, to feel, uh, to shell out the two pounds. Feel so bad for the dude. I mean, like, you, there, you, there was an era where it was completely fine to just speak some bullshit and and be completely forgotten. No, um, he he is forever the case study in like internet burn indeed. <laughs> In, like, indie development, like, public relations, yeah, yeah. which is, you just, you need to know, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but, like, I feel like Toby Fox's behavior online, which is to, like, just divorce yourself entirely yeah. from, like, the public, is, like, a direct lesson learned from, like, the Phil Fish experience, which is, hey, you know what you do? Just put up the veil. Just, uh, well, that's it for Indie Game the Movie. The, 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 that was my week. week. 
All right, my week. We're going to talk a little bit about The Last of Us Part 1. Mm-hmm. I did a very big, long, sort of stupid review of The Last of Us Part 1 uh, for work. Got an advanced copy of the game, and I was given sort of a week and a half to, to play it. And uh, mm-hmm. I did so on a holiday in Wexford. Had a good time. It was really good. I'm really... I'm happy with the review. It took, I, I went over it a bunch, a bunch of fucking times. Uh, I, I don't really believe in scores. So that was just something I had to put on there. Did this review. Very happy with it. Uh, but I had a bunch of leftover notes that was considering for articles. And I th- think both, uh, I was happy for the time to pass. And I, I was predicting diminishing returns. Not because they weren't interesting or weren't worth sharing. It was just that, like, figuring out how to make them into, like, 400-word articles or or, or the mm-hmm. like, or 1,000-word articles, uh, for God's sake. I, I don't know. It was just, it was going to be a nightmare. I, I don't think it was going to be worth it. It wasn't going to pay off. People weren't actually looking for this, my nonsense thoughts on everything. And plus, some of them were just, like, very tangentially. It was more about game design than The Last of Us. So I was like, The Last of Us made me think about this. Anyway, let's talk about a bunch of other games. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really, really learned to not like Uncharted Four this year. You learned I really to not learned like it. To not like it. I was always very quietly mixed about it. Uh, you know, I, I I didn't talk a lot about it when I beat it, and it it was rough because I, well, Uncharted Two is one of my favorite games. I uh, did I did I play that whilst we were doing the podcast? Did I mention Uncharted Four on the I, podcast? I don't think so. I, you did talk about. N- it before it may have been during it may have been was it during the hiatus perhaps i don't recall yes but yes i agree i had i was similarly ambivalent on it i uh what happened was when i got my playstation 5 earlier this year i i i I got the upgraded uncharted 4 for it uh Mm -hmm. and uh you know i was like oh it was a great opportunity you know it's been years uh game came out what like 26 15 2015 16 16 i uh i played it and uh you know i i I did do my fair share and i stuck with the multiplayer for afterwards for quite a while but you know it had been yeah it had been six years and i was like you know i definitely still not super happy with how that went i'm you know maybe if i revisit it now i'll uh, i'll change my mind and i got uh about i'd say about just over a third in gets a bit long in the tooth doesn't it 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 doesn't know what it fucking wants to be it wanted it screams to me like a game whose designers inherently did not like nathan drake they didn't want to be working on this game uh so they used a bunch of stuff left over from the last of us oh uh, then maybe an excuse to develop some stuff for the last of us part two it's use of pretension over over the the indiana jones-ish charm of of nathan drake and the uncharted series uh it it carried on the the mistake that uncharted 3 made which was these characters won't do depth well so that's not uh Mm -hmm. it it doubles down on trying to pull some vague idea of narrative responsibility from its characters and i i just don't think these cartoon people are gonna cut it uh and what it ends up doing is making a story its biggest most important moment for most players and was touted to be like quite impactful is the resolution of a long boring liar revealed i i i completely believe these characters can be used to tell a good story uh they did that they used it great in uncharted 2 but also I, I i don't think that means that they have to inherently have shallow stories constantly they uh there's it, it just has to be more about how 
the world works than it has to be about them and their relationships uh, because I think that the nuance doesn't bring anything to this profession the lifestyle they live you have to fundamentally change who they are to make it work and they did that with Uncharted 4 they fundamentally made Drake an older more tired more recklessly sad character and that's a good interesting twist i don't think they made a mistake on trying i just also think that Mm -hmm. pull it back and realize okay maybe at some point having the story the dramatic tension being that this art art our indiana jones is about to get nagged at you know like that's Mm -hmm. that sucks that sucks that you're putting those characters in that position and you know it does a good job at not making it as bad as you think it's going to be. But that's its only praise is that it could have been worse. You know, like, and the whole time you've been pit in your stomach, like, oh, when are we going to get to the part where Leda shows up and just yells at him? Yeah, like, uh, I didn't didn't care for the the Mr. Incredible, like, the cheating subtext side bit, which is like, you know how the Incredibles are doing superhero work? It has, like, this sort of, like, cheating subtext, even though there's no actual yeah, cheating uh-huh. happening. It's the same thing in this, where it's like, I've resumed this work, but I'm keeping it from my wife. I'm getting this thrill on the side that I couldn't get with my wife because she's so boring. That's sort of, like, cheating subtext. And then she finds out, and it's like, oh, my God, this whole drama. <laughs> uh, the, the premise for that plot line is too contrived for my tastes, which is, like, Sam, your brother, Mr. Puttybutthole, <laughs> who you knew the whole time, but is new for this game, just shows up, and is like, oh, I've got this crazy caper idea. Let's go on adventure. And even though Elena has proven in like the last several hours to be amenable to doing it crazy, wacky adventures, and Drake is the one who's reluctant to do so, uh, they just they just yeah. don't talk at all. It's like, uh, hey, Elena, here's my brother. Uh, he wants us to go on a crazy adventure. She'd be like, yeah, all right. Should be cool. Should be cool with that. Uh, also, also, uh, like Sam. Hey, Sam, my long lost brother. Hey, do you want to meet my wife? <laughs> no. <laughs> People don't behave this way. Yeah, yeah. Is it's, what it's, I was wondering. It's, not, it's like if they just have one emotional, emotionally honest conversation with any, at any one time, this plot would fall apart. And that's the sign of a terrible plot. I will say that this the 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 end the la- like the emotional state of all the characters at the end of that game really neatly mirrored my own where it's like sam runs off and it's like i can't be dealing with this fucking guy (laughs) anymore and like everyone's so fucking tired of him and then everyone's just sort of looking at him at each other and then they look at drake and drake just sort of goes yeah i I have to like i can't not go after him and everyone's like yeah yeah we get it just yeah let's let's go and then like I don't know, my attitude was perfectly, exactly encapsulated by that mentality, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. They got you there, and that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, they got me. It's like, a, yeah, we can't just not chase after him. I guess we better go, and everyone just goes, oh, all right, fine. And it's like, I don't know, the character's emotional state at that moment and my emotional state at that moment are perfectly aligned, <laughs> and I don't know if that's, that's like, what you that's wanted. Good no. But, <laughs> And I mean, I have a million other things about that, just how the game works as well and how it plays. I, I just feel like generally, like they throw in a bunch of stuff and put too much emphasis on a style of combat that doesn't really work 
for Uncharted. I don't see what the doubling down on stealth did for the series. Uh, it's a it's a, it's a fucking western, you know. It's just. I mean, it's been it's been like that since. Uh, yeah, the I know, but they were always shallow, right? Uh, shallow, shallow, like literally just like a sneak behind the guy and he dies instantly. Button is not the same thing mm-hmm. as uh, as uh, having this uh, intricate web of 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 free roaming Metal Gear Solid Five infiltration levels, in which case you can uh, even. Nor you can get away. Uh, like there is a trophy in one section that I got uh, for getting through a combat thing without being seen, and it ends in like a, a door you have to hold triangle at for a long time. Uh, and somebody mm-hmm. is on that route, and it's just like, what is this like? It's not what I associate with Uncharted at all. It feels like mm-hmm. they they wanted to do something, and they didn't care enough about what was good for Uncharted enough to think about whether it worked. It just was something they needed to do. Uh, anyway, anyway, this is all really beside the point of why I fucking bringing this up. Uh, I, I bring it up mm-hmm. because uh, I realized The Last of Us introduced a concept that I like to call the drama horse. The drama horse? Which is oh, when okay. the story wants you on a the story wants you on a rail and wants you to feel a character's actions mm-hmm. as the drama rather than the dialogue. They'll situate you on a drama horse. So it's not the same thing as a prestige slow down walk. The drama horse entails a lot of motion and a lot of scenery changing. But the also thing is it has next to no gameplay. So it's not like it's not like Uncharted mm-hmm. where you're on like a truck and you're shooting down stuff in one of those action set pieces here that you're in this Jeep. Right. So specifically in The Last of Us, this is when Ellie goes missing. Runs, yeah, and you run, have to runs yeah, off from I know, Tommy's base. I know the sequence you're talking about. Yes, and you have to go look at a for on this horse. Yeah, yeah, and it's all very Ellie, Jason, yeah, Jason. You go on this horse ride, and you know yeah, the last one even does it quite well because it intersplices a uh, a combat encounter into it to keep it interesting. You get on this horse and you go for three minutes or so, just letting a horse play. You don't get mm-hmm. to, you can't get off the horse, you can't, uh, you can't search around for stuff. You're just going through a, an environment. And then feeling the drama horse do its work. And The Last of Us breaks it up in a fight. And then you get back on your horse and you proceed to finish the drama horse segment. You know, the, you know a great example of Red Dead Redemption is it's chocked full of drama horses. As far as I'm aware, Red Dead Redemption 2 is 99% drama horse. All I've played of Red Dead Redemption 2 is the opening... Are yeah. Uh, if if that's a, a representative of uh, like if it's a scaled down version of the rest of the game, that is yeah ninety percent drama horse. You are sitting, you are waiting, and you are enduring long, slow conversations in like uh, bad weather I, I, on a drama I would, horse. I would say that Red Dead Redemption Two, from what I've seen of it, is the ultimate litmus test of uh, the, how willing. Are you, the player, willing to be just an actor in whatever the game director's vision of, like, I'm making my movie, and the player is the actor, and they will do this, and they will do this, and they will do this, and all of their freedoms will be restricted, blah, 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 blah. Until and, such a point as I free them. Yes. Uh, and then they'll have Red Dead too much freedom, so much Red- freedom. Red Dead Redemption 2 is, like, the ultimate litmus test and, like, how much you're willing to endure of that sort of thing, because yeah. it does it a lot. Uncharted 4's drama horse is the jeep ride between Elena and Nate, in which they have the, they don't talk for a while. You know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, I know, I, I, it's, like, near the end, isn't it? It's on the it's, final it's, island. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the Game of the Year award-worthy conversation points, that they have a very long 
slow, awkward ride ride where they don't I, talk I, to each other. I appreciated. Uh, <laughs> I, I I did actually appreciate the once she finally catches up with you that she's just sort of she's so livid yeah. and rage she can she can't even talk to you. It's, it's not even that she's furious. It's just like all right. So what do we do now? Yeah, what are we gonna do with this situation? Huh? I, I I I liked how mature it was. That's all I can say. I don't know. I guess at that point I was so used to like these sorts of moments resulting in like like hysterics. And like, that that is exactly right. That is um that's that's exactly why it's it's it doesn't hit you in the moment how stupid it is. Uh is that A, you're coming into it having seen a million films like this with this exact same plot line, and it always drags on into a big dramatic fight. And uh-huh. they 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 not doing that. So Yeah, they just sort of Yeah, I, I yeah, like the two of them just nut up and act like adults about it, and it's like, oh, this is this is kind of refreshing. If a little, like, if, a, if a little unrealistic in the opposite direction, but yes, perhaps, yeah. Uh, the, uh, and the other thing is that if you've just been waiting for this thread to end for so long that the relief, the, the, drop. the relief of even confrontation is much better than anything. That yeah, like that at least it's going to end soon. If she blows up, even if she's quiet and 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 they can't say anything to each other. And this is somehow reflective of something human humans do. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, it's it's just so you 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 immediately latch onto it, and I remember doing so too because I just wanted this thread to end. Also, I I will be honest that last that like the island, the final island. I feel like okay, so you know how in some of the latter. Naughty Dog games, there's like this thing where a character gestures to something in the distance and a, a button will come up yeah. say, to point Ooh. the camera at it. Yeah, exactly. There's like a, a moment where that, of that, where you, the camera points at this very distinctive mountain in the land, in like the distance that's acting as like the, the landmark that indicates where you are in the island relative to like the, the pirate yeah. uh, hideout is. Uh-huh. And I feel like that happens at least three times too many <laughs> to that same landmark. <laughs> if you see what I if you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Where it's like, oh, we're, we're a little bit closer or we're looking at it from a different angle because we're on a different part of the island. And I'm like, yeah, okay, wind, wrap it up, fellas. Wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, we're, in the, yeah. we're in the climax here. Let's. We've got places to be. Absolutely. Uh, yes, I, I, that's that's all I wanted to say. I, I just wanted to say that I don't like the drama horse. Uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't like it. Dragon Ball news. So, there was a, a Nintendo Direct lately. Yes, indeed. And uh, they had to postpone it for a couple of days uh, for reasons that weren't immediately clear, but became a little bit more obvious once the, the name to the sequel to Breath of the Wild had been announced. That's right, listener. They had to postpone it because the Queen of England died recently and they were afraid of offending people. So uh, please stay tuned for Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. The Queen is dead. Yeah, what the fuck is it called? Tears of the Kingdom? Tears of the Kingdom. Love that name. What a cool name. Or is it Tears of the Kingdom? That would suck. Yes, that wouldn't be nearly as interesting, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nice play on words if the kingdom tearing 
is in fact a thematic yeah, uh, motif I, of that I game. never thought about that. If it's uh, Tears of the Kingdom sucks. I know. Let me find I can find out I can find out from the Japanese, surely. You can get a phonetic reading. Tearsu, yes. Yes, it's Tearsu. It's Tears. Tearsu. Yeah, it's the katakana for T I A long A and uh zoo. Thank God. Whew. Absolutely. I really did not want to call this Tears of the Kingdom. There I am just there to introduce doubt into the minds of yeah, the weak. Yeah. Uh speaking of introducing doubt to the minds of the weak. Mm-hmm. GameStop have been accused of wiretapping customers without their consent. Boy, sure I'm glad I sold all that stock, huh? <laughs> <laughs> this is the first I've heard of that, so uh I I am genuinely glad that uh I'm no longer invested in this. <laughs> Speaking of uh, The Last of Us, as well as things that are very serious and not funny at all, <laughs> uh, the Game Awards have added the Best Adaption category to recognize outstanding work adapting video game IPs to other oh, entertainment yeah. mediums. I remember reading that. The, yeah. the, the, well, game, I mean, the Game Awards are now awarding other media... Well, not just that, but like at this point, I feel like they're just making up awards to yeah. give to The Last of Us at this point. We've run it. We, we can only give them so many Game of the Awards awards, so we're just going to start making you up awards to give to them. You say that like it won't go straight to Arcane first. Uh, it'll be stiff competition, but I know that the, the moment The Last of Us 1 comes out, it's a foregone conclusion. I love the idea that video game adapted media can now be hotly contested on any level. In yes, any other any other medium other than some sort of crazy toboggan race to the bottom. I suppose this is just further evidence of the games industry's inherent inferiority complex. Uh, yeah. You wouldn't see the Oscar, you wouldn't see a, like a book exactly. awards going, what's Be- the best adaption of this book? Yeah. Best adaption of film to a book. Best uh, novelization of the Alien franchise. Uh-huh. There's no, uh, there's no Oscar for uh, best game spinoff of a movie. <laughs> yeah, best movie tie-up. Uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, this is exactly why Keanu Reeves threw himself off a building after receiving a game awards in, in the Matrix. Uh, what, the, what do you call it? Resurrections. The Matrix Resurrections. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe one of the funniest, most telling. <laughs> they managed to get that, the Game Awards in there. And the, the imagely associated with it was Keanu Reeves throwing himself off a building. It's the best sequence in that movie. <laughs> it really is. It's like, it's like the most go fuck yourself. I think, like the most direct, like out of, out of all the films that you would expect to see this in, to have them go, <laughs> man, the video game industry is fucking bullshit, isn't it? It's like, Fikes, this is Matrix, Fikes, movie, man. Matrix I just to see some kung fu. <laughs> I guess fucking des- designing Path of Neo was such a fucking strain. Speaking of ridiculing entire industries in your movie, <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the trailer for Weird, the Al Yankovic? I have. I have story. Is it not look fucking incredible? It looks pretty good. Yeah, definitely. That I I was like I was like okay so uh, initially when I heard the announcement oh they're making a, a weird Al movie I'm pretty good with that like a, bi- a biopic oh and they got Daniel Radcliffe who post Harry Potter has just become like a total weirdo in all the good yeah, ways yeah. I'm like okay the healthiest kind I'm on of board weirdo with that. 
Yeah, he's like, I'm just, I made all my money that I could possibly ever want, so I'm just gonna go straight into arty weird <laughs> shit, <laughs> yeah. including apparently becoming best friends with Weird Al, which is fair enough, I would do the same in that <laughs> position. Attend the same parties, drink the same drinks, uh-huh. be friends. Uh-huh. And uh, I I was watching the trailer to this, and I was like, yeah, I mean, biopics are all well and good, it's probably gonna be a funny biopic. And then I got halfway through it and went, oh no, I mean, this isn't just... A funny biopic. This is a piss take of biopics. <laughs> and I was like, suddenly, I'm on board. I'm so on board with this. This is so much better than I hoped it would be. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got the it's got the comedy cadence down, which is very difficult to pin down or explain. But uh, if you see it, you'll know what I mean. Where it's just like the timing on the on the the the, the replies, the beats. It's good. Babylon's fall, terminating its online service. This is too yeah. sad. I, I, I cut that More one like out. More like Babylon's flounder. More like Babylon's fall. <laughs> Resident <laughs> Evil Netflix show cancelled after one season. Uh, this isn't sad, but it is funny. <laughs> yes. It, was, it wasn't very good. And uh, this is one where... The, like... the. They, all sorts of strange things were going. I only learned new two things about this show. Three things. One, Wesker's in it, and he's played by Lance Rhetoric, and he, he's that's, been recast as a black guy, and that's weird, even though because it's meant to be canon. This is this show was meant to be canon. Apparently. What do you mean canon? Canon to what? The games? Yeah, I think so. How? Do, what? I don't know. I don't know. It's strange. I think already now. My future self is shaking his head, already reaching for the Wikipedia article. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Also, the the writing was strange. The character is just talking about Zootopia porn for no reason at all. It's relatable is why. No comment. <laughs> it's in there for a reason. Uh-huh. Uh, just know to get that engagement. Gotta get people talking about it somehow. <laughs> I imagine Zootopia porn probably has a greater SEO grab than this netflix show maybe maybe they're making a, a bid for a furry spin-off called raccoon city oh very good very good it ends with getting nuked same <laughs> ending. yeah of course either way i'm going to forgo with the the association game i've got nothing i've got a, i'm trying to look it's at fine. these usually, but I, I usually at this point nothing. i start cutting left and right when i just take out your associations anyway uh, let's see. Masahiro Sakurai announced his YouTube channel where he will talk about game design, which I am genuinely looking forward to, to watching. Yeah, that's definitely on the, uh... He's already had a couple out already. Yeah, the... He's already got his fucking silver play button, which is kind of crazy. That's insane. What did you call it? Inspiration Fuel? Yes, Inspiration that's, Fuel. That's although I... definitely on there. Although, uh, I don't know. I feel inclined to... F- I want to watch that one anyway. I don't, I've already got the Yahtzee one to, to keep in the in the chamber should the... I need the I need the inspiration. But uh, this one I might watch casually. This one to, Just because... This, he, this one to me uh, strikes me a little bit because I've heard a little bit of what he's talking and it's kind of the kind of video you watch when you're one layer already in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that's, I love I'm really that excited that's, to hear that. that. I, yeah, I, I love that. That's true. That's that's it. That's what this is, uh, because that's more exciting to me. But it makes me realize that I am. I need to do more work for the first layer before I start peeling it off and and rushing ahead to get to what I mm-hmm. what I want, which is to enjoy this series. Yeah, it's going to be some inside baseball, as they say. 
Also, Hideo Kojima says he's going to have a podcast on the way, and I don't even want to know what that's going to look like. Will that podcast feature in Death Stranding? That would be a great idea. I think it won't. No, probably not. Uh, no, that would be well, that's a missed was, opportunity. What was right funny there. was that that wasn't that announced at something. Like he came on stage. What was it? Gamescom? Yeah, it was Gamescom because Jeff Keighley was hosting. Naturally, and uh, Hideo Kojima had to had to show up by contract. So he, mm-hmm. did, he didn't have a game or anything this time around, so he just turned to the camera and said, hey, uh, yeah, I guess me and, a, me and my friends are making a podcast. <laughs> it's going to... Check me out on gonna, SoundCloud. He he said there's going to be an English version of it. I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> Is it just going to be an interpreter? Maybe it's scripted material. M- maybe, Because there's loads of podcasts like that. But not everybody is going for the high-minded, improvisational stylings of Factor Man podcast. Naturally, naturally. No, no, not everyone has the chops for that kind of heavy lifting. <laughs> for sure, especially not Hideo Kojima. Uh-huh. He, would write, no, uh, he would write and talk too much, unlike us. Well, I mean, Hideo Kojima, <laughs> even when he's not improvising and is doing an actual written script, it would probably be three hours long. Talking about... God knows what. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, whatever the most recent book he read was. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've reread Gravity's Rainbow and guys. This is, I tell you what, this is going to be the next big thing. Although, you know, we joke, but he has a pretty good track record, if we're being perfectly honest. Oh, yeah. With predicting things. Like, uh, I think during the, uh, the, the 50th year, not the 50th anniversary, the, the, there was like a 20 year anniversary for uh, Mel Gear Solid 2. He talked about his his ability to predict events, and he said it with like this really melancholic tone. It's almost like by predicting these yeah. things, I have brought them into into being. <laughs> I must be very responsible with this godlike power that I have. And it's like, all right, from now on, my futures will only pertain to walking around between huts and pleasant mm-hmm. pleasant apocalypses. Uh, I don't have anything to say about it, but I'll bring it up anyway. Assassin's Creed Mirage. Set in Baghdad, in what I presume is the golden age of Islam. Very interesting. Also, Assassin's Creed Red, announced to come after that, set in feudal Japan. Mm-hmm. Which is something I do have something to say about. Mainly in the fact that uh, it is the setting that they tr- they have deliberately, till this point, turned up their nose at. On account of it being, quote, too obvious. So uh, <laughs> yes. the fact that they're, they're would, finally opting for it. Why would you give the people it, what they want? Unless you were desperate, Ubisoft. Yeah, the, uh, presumably it's them just sort of going, fine, fine, we'll do the feudal Japan. But only if Tencent gets a little cozier. Uh, does Tencent only own much for Ubisoft? They do, don't they? They just increased their stake. I don't Bye. know. I don't know the numbers, but it was something like uh, Scottish robot. Correct me if uh, uh, what I call it? Victor Man. If you could correct me if I'm wrong. Victor Man. Uh, but uh, I believe it's ten percent. And up, mm-hmm. upwards of something now closing in on a third. Tencent up their state to 11.3%, but were reportedly buying assets from other parties for up to 16.8% control of Ubisoft. So, not quite a third, Lee Brady. Well done remembering the news. Not like it's your job, you stupid c- you know, you know, it's funny. I'm pretty sure the guy that said that feudal Japan was a too on the nose or too obvious and they wanted to explore other options first was the same guy who I lampooned. God, what was his name? Hutchinson? He's the guy that, uh, the same guy that said that modeling 
3D rigs for oh, female yeah, characters yeah. was too much work. No, that was the same guy. Yeah, he was the creative lead behind uh, Assassin's Creed 3. Man, he he does not have to toad the party line this this way. <laughs> I know. Well, well, that, that, he said that way back in the day for Assassin's Creed 3. That's when people were asking him, oh, make one in feudal Japan. And he said, that's not interesting because you already, these characters are already basically ninjas. Think of the money they could have made if they had beaten Ghost of Tsushima to the fucking... Well, see, that's the... the, To the post there. That's the thing now. They're they're now actively competing with Ghost of Tsushima, which is there's no way they're going to be able to make this game without directing, drawing direct comparisons with Ghost of Tsushima. Ghost of Tsushima and Yakuza Ishin and Rise of the Ronin, which is Neo 3. Oh, I think Neo 3 is going to be very different. I don't think those can draw direct comparisons. I'm sure Yakuza Ishin is probably going to be very different as well. Is that not a remake? It is. Of uh, of that, that the Sengoku Jedi spinoff, I it's think. It's a remake of the second one in that series. Oh, that's a, such a fucking weird It was already It was already on PS4, that's why. Oh, uh, I see. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, Rise of the Ronin is the the new guys who do Neo are doing this. Team Ninja. Team Ninja and Koi Tecmo, right? Or is it Ninja Theory? I'm always confusing the two. It is definitely Team Ninja. Gotcha. Perfect. Anyway, there, I believe all three of those games, Yakuza, or Like a Dragon Ishin and Rise of the Ronin are set in the same period of the, the Edo Edo era and uh oh the Edo era I see interesting they're both at the end of it at the end of the Edo period so it's the, like the messiest most technologically interesting part ah so it's like uh, right before the Meiji restoration or something oh okay that's interesting that's where Yak- Yakus like- is set that way and that he becomes essentially the bodyguard to the dying I'm intrigued and then no, Rise, of, Rise of the Ronin I believe takes place in yes the exact same calamitous end to the era all right i i i'm i'm very intrigued by this because like you know mostly it's like oh is it the warring states period <laughs> yeah, is yeah. Oda nobunaga gonna show up i mean neo one took place at the very end of it where it's like Tokugawa ietsu that you're hanging out with and he's like the slightly more obscure of the three so it's like oh oh that's kind of cool nobunaga does show up briefly because of course he does of but course. his presence in the story is pretty small it's just a sort of, it's a cameo. Does his revenge show up? Oh, the revenge of Nobunaga? Uh, no, actually. In fact, I'm going to spoil Neo 1 a little bit, but that's fine because it's not a huge deal. Like, the the big bad of Neo 1 attempts to resurrect Nobunaga to cause chaos whilst he does his evil plan in the background. <laughs> and it doesn't take, because Nobunaga just shows up like, ugh, I'm alive again? Fuck. Okay, uh... He sees that, like, Tokugawa Ieyasu is reuniting the country under his banner, and he goes, yeah, that's basically what I was planning on doing. I guess my legacy is being carried on. Hey, do you want to fight? And then they have a boss battle, and then it's like, yeah, okay, this is pretty good. My legacy is uh, being carried on well enough. See you later, loser. And then he he checks out, and then he just goes back to being dead. I'm happy with this. And you're like, damn, Nobunaga. That's amazing. You're cool. My last story. In fact, I will do you one, Baron, and I will feast your eyes on this new story, Lee. What comes to mind? Please. Please not, Randy. It's Randy. Gearbox official. Gearbox fans may have noticed the loud shirts worn by our head honcho over the years. Now these shirts can be yours. (laughs) 
Randy is auctioning off dozens of garments of all proceeds funding a developer scholarship. Blind, that's right, blind Randy, bidding that, runs. That's right. Randy Pitchford is auctioning off all of his old, really loud, kind of tacky shirts that he's worn over the years <laughs> at, uh, in conferences and such. Uh, the novelty of this is too amusing for me to pass up. I hope that they have been dry cleaned perhaps twice in a row. <laughs> It's 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 truly truly like the sweat. Yeah. Oh God, the grease alone must be like. And you can't get evil out of linen. No, no, you you can't get. Uh, it's porous. Evil's porous. Truly. I I, I knew this was a good one. The end of <laughs> this is too weird of a story to not pass up. Oh, that's excellent. All right, good job, Lawrence. Good good ending. I can buy you one for your birthday. Clammy. Randy Pitchford. Randy shirt.